We've been teaching week to week over the last couple months, gleaning from the life and times of King David, although I keep titling this Jesus, King of Kings, because uh, we have to point everything to him. But David, in his unbridled enthusiasm for the things of God, his loyalty to an undeserving leader, and his continued trust in the Lord that despite how things appear on the surface, uh, stays intact. And we begin a new section of David's life, and if it were a book, this would be a, a critical middle point where, you know, the, the hero has finally ascended uh, to the, the kingship, is right on the cusp uh, now that his, his, what looked like his, his biggest enemy uh, from within his own camp, Saul, who he had been loyal to, uh, had been trying to kill him and jealous of him. But Second uh, Samuel begins with Saul's death, as we talked about last week. <coughs> And it seems like there's a clean line to the throne uh, that is vacated. And David does what David has done at many critical junctures in his life. He inquires of the Lord. Second Samuel chapter 2 begins this way. And it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities in Judah? And the Lord said, Go up. David said, Shall I, shall I go up? And uh, where shall I go? And he said, To Hebrew. To, to word came to Hebron. David knows that the Lord has promised him that he will be the next king. But what are the steps that he is supposed to take to ensure everything lines up? Because timing is everything as far as power goes, right? The moment Saul dies, you find out a little later in chapter 2 that one of his strongest military leaders, Abner, one of Saul's most loyal defenders of Saul's kingdom, Abner, has quickly crowned one of Saul's children, Ish-bosheth, as the new king in Israel. And news is spreading that Israel has a new king, and it's not David who has been anointed the king over Judah here in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel. David does what we see a pattern of David doing when he is unsure of how to execute the plan. He inquires of the Lord. Because there are aggressive political things happening that you can see in the text and that you can know just by human nature are happening around the text after Saul's death. It's hard to imagine that there aren't a lot of people telling David what he should do now that Saul's dead in order to secure the allegiance of the other tribes and especially the cities where Saul had been camped out and ruling. I'm sure he's being told lots of different things that he should do, and he's reached a point of strain here. That's what I believe. It appears he needs to act quickly and decisively, and there is a lot at stake, and he doesn't want to do the wrong thing. Exodus chapter 28 says, And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart, and when he goes in before the Lord, so Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. There were these devices. The Hebrew pronunciation is a little bit funky. Urim and Thumim. It's a different kind of a meme, okay? But it's 
they were devices that uh, I'll explain here, but uh, that God had at time used these stones or gems or to confirm what he uh, wanted to see happen. Not a magic eight ball. Those are not God-ordained. Cursed be the magic eight ball. Amen? And it doesn't appear to be a direct conversation with God, although that at times happens. But at times, these devices were used to answer true or false, yes or no, to actually pronounce judgment, is another word, of guilty or not guilty when someone came before the priest. Terms associated with these uh, devices are lights, judgment, blessing, cursing, and also many times linked with the breastplate. It's probably the best uh, words of explanation on this uh, urim and this turmim is a couple paragraphs from Dr. Bruce Wolke's book entitled Finding the Will of God that I'll read for you. The priest could use the urim and the thumim to determine God's will in a particular situation. We are not exactly sure what the Urim and the Thummim were, but the priest carried in his breastplate perhaps two sticks or stones, one white and the other black, and that, that would give a yes or no answer to a specific question. Should Israel be preparing for battle? They would somehow shake or toss the sticks. If they turned up black, the Israelites would not go to battle. If they turned up white, they would proceed into battle with the knowledge that they were in the will of God. And that is one form of divination that God had allowed in the Old Testament. One more paragraph. I'll read. Some early rabbis believed that the Urim and the Tumim were a series of stones with Hebraic characters on them, which by which the Lord could spell out a message for the high priest. However, most scholars believe them to be two sticks or stones, perhaps precious, precious stones, that God used in a miraculous way to confirm his will. They were used for national decisions like going to war and for priestly duties, priestly matters. A little Nacho Libre for you. Scholars link the high priest breastplate to the Urim and the Turim, and there's strong evidence that these devices were in the pouch near the breastplate of the high priest. Deuteronomy chapter 33, Moses says, And of Levi, he said, Let your thumim and your urim be in with your holy one. Now, it wasn't the only way that God made his will clear, but God did use them in the Old Testament. During Saul's desperate attempts... To get his way, he inquires of the Lord. First Samuel chapter 28, we read a couple weeks ago, Saul inquired of the Lord. The Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. It appears as though these devices may have been either stones or bones or possibly gems. Some believe that they were gems and some believe they were the gems actually on the high priest's plate there and that they would illuminate when they had a positive answer. It was a mystical, you know, kind of experience, some believe. But the strongest evidence paints pictures that a person came before the priest and formulated the question, and then they got an affirmation. 
uh, through the drawing of the stones or the casting of them. For example, stones landing on black or white, yes and no. It implies here that David asked precise questions of the priests and the urim and the turmim confirmed yes. And it must have been really great to know the direction of one's life when a critical decision is in front of you. Do you ever feel like, Lord, what should I do? I wish I knew exactly what you wanted. All around this room, folks have looked to God and asked, Lord, what about this job? What about this house? What about this school? This girl or that guy? This commitment or that opportunity? Here is the anointed king of Israel, chosen leader, surrounded by the brilliant minds of the kingdom and other God-fearing people, and he's unsure and wanting confirmation from the Lord. He knows God has spoken through dreams, prophets, and even these devices to help those who want to know how to please him in certain situations where critical decisions need to be made. And it seems like these devices were used to kind of double check, kind of confirm what a person was already feeling. How do we find the Lord's will today? When was the last time you asked the Holy Spirit for guidance? When was the last time you opened the Word of God and said, Lord, Speak to me through your word and help me to discern your truth and apply it to my everyday life. David wrote a hit song. We've, throughout this series, at times focused on songs that he wrote. And one of his big hits that I'm sure went number one on the pop charts of Israel, a young guy named Casey Barashit Bara Elohim. Casey Kasem, I don't know. Psalm 119, that wasn't in my notes. Some of you are like, we knew that. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And it almost seems silly to walk through this world in darkness when there's a Holy Spirit light ordained for the pass in front of you. Every time I feel myself losing my bearing, out of sorts, I'm not sure about some of the things that I normally have my confidence in. When I'm not in a particular reading spot in the Bible or I finish an area, I almost always exclusively, when I don't know where to go, I go to the Gospels and start reading again. And I listen to the words of Jesus. Sometimes on the work side, I'll have my headphones and I'll start the day just listening to the Gospel of Matthew. It takes about 45 minutes. And I find that the priorities in my life get realigned very fast listening to the words of Jesus. The balance of what Jesus spoke about, 
I believe if all we ever had were the words of Jesus, if all we had were the red letters from just four of the, the books of the Bible, if all we had were the ancient words of Jesus preserved for us, that the words that Jesus spoke with the balance and perspective about life, I believe it would be enough to last a whole lifetime and make right decisions and honor God. But God, by His grace, has given us even more. God has given us more direction than the anointed man of God's, a man after God's own heart, king of Judah, than he ever dreamed a person could know from God. Will you stand with me? I want to talk to you more about that in the next part of this message. Lord, thank you for your word that you have given us and for the promises within this psalm of David that your word is a light unto our paths. Real life, everyday decisions, 2017, that the ancient ways are, are still right in front of us today, the same kinds of decisions to, to honor God. Yeah, they're, they're complex in a different way. Yeah, they're technical in a different way. Yeah, they're, 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 the pressures are, they look differently. They're, they're wearing different clothes and they're, they're, the signals are coming by airwaves now. But hey, the signals have always come by airwave. The enemy has always been roaming this earth and the dark spirits of this earth have always been roaming, seeking who he may devour. And your presence has always been battling the forces of darkness. And you want to make it clear to us. You've, you've spoken already. So help us, God, to be able to discern, to be able to bask in, to meditate, to incorporate. Wouldn't it be great if we weren't just incorporating your word into our lives, but your word became that which set the course for our days and the decisions that are before us in Jesus' name. David has displayed so far at this point in the, in the story, in the, the chronology of David, that his heart is to inquire of the Lord. But he seems like he has an advantage over you and I of, upon looking from the surface, that he's surrounded by the brilliant minds and men of God around him, <laughs> that he has wise men and advisors and prophets and priests and, and uh, these, even these divine devices that when he's in a critical junction and he thinks this is what I should do, that, that he can even inquire of the Lord and they can pull out the stone and yes, that's what you're supposed to do. And throughout the Old Testament, on occasion, God would speak audibly as well to the leaders of old. And I, like you, have often dreamt and daydreamt that, Lord, I'd, I'd like to know exactly what to do. Like, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what you want me to do. I know you want me to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, but, and, and that you want me to share this good news and be a part of this gospel being spread, but, but uh, I'm not exactly sure how to do that sometimes in the marketplace, on the job site. How, you know, how do I, do, how do, how do I navigate through this? And uh, if you told me exactly what to do and exactly who to go to and exactly what to say, I'd do it, and I'd, I'd be, I'm sure I'd be way more effective and be able to bring glory to your name. And sometimes I think David had a big advantage over me to know God's will. But I have access to the word of God every day. You know what is my problem? Is other stuff gets in my brain. Other things echo around in my brain and start to 
Uh, you, know, you ever have a conversation with someone and they say a lot of nice things, but they say one little weird thing, and that weird thing is all you can remember from the conversation? Who else is a little bit like that, like me? Like you have problems, you're like me. Who else? There's a couple friends over there. Thank you for being honest. How about over here? Anybody have that? There's words stick in your brain. And you just, oh, you think of half of this group. Okay, how about over here? A lot of people over here are human. How about over here? Okay, almost all humans over here. Thank you to the robots who have joined us and the zombie apocalypse is uh, possibly happening. But um, uh, yeah, we get things that we can fixate on at times. And I know for some people it's, uh, it might be more repetitive and, 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 and pounding harder. But, but all of us battle what, what's echoing around in our mind and it can affect us. There are times in your day, your every day, when you're thinking about something and you're dwelling on it. But let me ask you this. Are there times in your day, your, your everyday life, when, when you meditate on the Word of God and what God has to say about you? And I'm not talking about just reading and listening to the Bible or, or, or just listening to Christian music. But are there times in your everyday life when you make sure you're thinking and dwelling or you're reminding yourself of what God has said? in the midst of other confusing signals, other, other repetitive things stuck in your brain. If not, you'll probably feel out of touch, out of sync with where, where God's will is for your life. And David wrote songs. We call many of them, not all his songs are in the Psalms. Some are in the texts that you read about his life that he sings. But we call many of them Psalms. He's not the only one who wrote psalms, but... And one of his biggest hits, as I've mentioned here, is Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Did you know that? And it's the... So it's the longest song that David ever wrote. A great song of theology about knowing who God is and about knowing God's will because by knowing God's word, you can know God's will. Sometimes songs stick in my head, and they help me remember. <laughs> Joan and Brianna will tell you, uh, Dad's brain is kind of like a jukebox at times, and sometimes it seems like he gets stuck on the same songs over and over, or the same things in his brain, and we have to hear about them when we're driving with him. But Joan will sometimes say, now, let me say it in the way that I interpret Joan saying it and not in the tone that Joan would say it. So, Joan will say, how can you remember all those stupid songs of the 70s, but you can't remember the orthodontist appointment I reminded you about 10 times this week? I say, babe, I don't know what to say except, baby, come back. You can blame it all on me. I was wrong, and I just can't live without you. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Cursed be the song that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friends. Cursed be 99 bottles of beer on the wall with McDonald's, McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and a Pizza Hut. I remember a guy 30 years ago, 
more than 30 years ago. He sang in our chapel at North Central University, which was North Central Bible College at, at that time and North Central Institute before that, and probably a camp meeting before that. But he was... He, was, he wrote this song. It was the first time I'd ever heard rap music. You know, like I, I'm, you know, city, city, suburbial white kid from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and now I'm going to Bible College in Minneapolis, and, you know, and North Central's right into downtown. But this guy came into chapel, and he sang Christian rap. I'd hardly even heard of rap in the early 80s, let alone uh, Christian rap, you know. And, uh, but the song, you know, that he sang just kind of stuck in my head, and there are better versions of this song or a similar kind of strategy to help you remember on YouTube now that are more current or more kind of a relevant hip-hop style. I mean, this one is total cheese. This is total Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know. I did one tiny thing, in my, you know. Because it kind of went like, well, praise the Lord, for goodness sake, we're all going to take a Bible break. The Bible is the holy book, so let's open it up and take a look. Well, there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd King, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Psalm, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. A little backup from my son Dylan back there. He's white, but he means well. And it went on and went, uh, where was I? Da Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Jonah, hey, don't, don't interrupt there. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. Malachi, New Testament. Hey, come on, white guy. Well, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrew, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. Yeah, mm-hmm. The word's going to save this nation if we learn the book from Genesis to Revelation. Uh-huh. A little mic drop in church. I had to go in the back and go, is there some old one with duct tape that doesn't work anymore? Because I'm not going to drop something expensive. And we had a couple old mics back there. So for all you stewards who just went. <sighs> but ancient rabbis retold Psalm 1. 119 claiming that David wrote the psalm as a memory device so his son Solomon could remember the Hebrew alphabet. It's a belief held by Orthodox scholars today in the Greek Orthodox Church. Not only does Psalm 119 rhythmically exude David's poetic personality and writing style, it's mathematical brilliance. It's a fantastic teaching tool. The, the, the psalm itself is alphabetical. There are eight stanzas that commence with one letter, and then another eight with the next letter, and there are 22 stanzas of eight verses each that, that go through the whole Hebrew alphabet of Psalm 119, 176 verses. 
It proceeds by octanaries, it's called, all the way through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Isaac Taylor waxed eloquently about the writing genius of Psalm 119. He said it this way, students find intimate, commingled throughout this psalm, divine life lessons conveyed to the human spirit that are not damaged, impeded, or vitiated by its subjugation to those modes of utterance which most of all bespeak their adaptation to the infancy and childlike capacity of the recipient. Meaning, brilliant, rich, and deep, but so clear that a child can't miss the message, unlike his statement, which made it a little bit more cloudy. But what a great teaching tool, Psalm 119, pointing the people of God to the power of the Word of God, reminding us that God has made His will clear. And we get sidetracked by all the earthly things and the mixed messages, and meditating on God's Word can direct your paths. I learned a reading technique during my master's studies that they called mining a book because they said, you can't live your life I was pastoring full-time at the time and then enrolled in a full-time graduate program and building a house at the same time. And, but for the first class, I read all 1,600 pages before I showed up on campus. And I was the only student who read cover to cover all the books before we were supposed to be there. And then that first session, they taught us, said, you can't do that. Okay, Lance is weird. You can't do that. And in the future, you don't have to do that. But you do need to be familiar with these texts. And they go into your library. And later, when you work on a doctorate, you'll go into those in greater detail. But you need to have a grasp of what they're about. And they taught us this technique called mining. Uh, if you don't have a lot of time, you can figure out what an author is saying about the book if you read a chapter at a time and you read the first, word, first line and the last line of a paragraph. That every paragraph is in itself a summary of a statement they're trying to teach you, that they have an opening of what they're trying to say and a conclusion to that paragraph. So if you read the first paragraph and the la first line and the last line of every paragraph, and so in five minutes we took a textbook, really tough reading, and we were required to sit in our master's class and read the first line and the last line of every paragraph. It took five minutes, and I read the first chapter of a textbook, and then we talked about it, and I was like, I know what we're talking about here. I get what the author is trying to say. So I want to use that technique with you as we conclude the service with Psalm 119 because we don't have time for me to dissect the 176 verses that we'll take. But I believe if we, I'm going to read one, uh, eight, eight, 22 different stanzas, but I'm going to read to you the first line and the last line from each stanza, and so that by the time we're done with the 22 alphabets of the Hebrew, you'll understand the power of the Word of God and what David is trying to say here in this song 119. Psalm 119, if you have a Bible or Bible app and you want to open it and follow along, it's going to go in eights. So 1 and 8, 9 and 16, 17, 24, 25, 33, on, 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 like that. But I won't stop. I'm going to do my best not to keep telling you what number I'm on. But the first letters, the elf, A. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. I will keep your statues. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man cleanse his way? 
by taking heed according to your word. I will delight myself in your statues, and I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statues, and I shall keep it to the end. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statues. Remember the word of your servant upon which you've caused me to hope. This has become mine, because I kept your precepts. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statues. You've dealt, with, you've dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold or silver. Your hands have made me. And fashioned me, given me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statues that I may not be ashamed. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth forever. O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. I have seen the consummation of all perfection. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Through your, through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've inclined my heart to perform your statues forever to the very end. I hate the double-minded but I love your law. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. I've done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. I cry out with my whole heart, hear me, O God, and I will keep your statues concerning your testimonies. I've known of old that you have founded them forever. Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. The entirety of your word is true, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Will you stand with me? And although princes persecute me without cause, my heart stands in awe of your word. I keep your precepts and your testimonies. 
for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord, and give me understanding according to your word. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Lord, as we together have read, I pray that your word will be stuck in our minds, in our brains, that when all the other signals come our way, that we can hear from you, have your Holy Spirit, your word shedding light on our path. In Jesus' name. You can find us online at falls.church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.sf.